My new book is now available. It's called Peace Over Pain: How to Eliminate Chronic Pain and or Chronic Illness so you can break free from the medical monopoly. If you want it instantly, you can get the ebook and audiobook together as a package on peaceoverpain.com. And of course, the paperback is available on Amazon right now. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Do you have a mold problem at your house or apartment? Welcome to episode number 146. Today, I'm sitting down with Michael Rubino. He is the author of the book, The Mold Medic. So sit down and relax and take in this important conversation. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So what are the typical symptoms of mold exposure? I would say probably the, the top couple ones that come immediately to mind are brain fog and chronic fatigue. Hmm. Then you also have like skin issues like eczema, hives, rashes, uh, things like that. Um, it also can cause inflammation internally. Hmm. So, you know, you're going to have a lot of those gut issues and things like that. Um, those are probably some of the most common ones that you hear people talk about. Well, it's all, it's all very interesting to me because I'm a nutritionist and this is a, a, a twist because now we're talking about something external that grows, that comes in, infiltrates our system and causes some of the things that bad nutrition can cause. Totally. It's a very interesting concept, right? Because like, especially for me, and, and I think why I'm always like on this megaphone screaming about this stuff is really because, you know, we take 20,000 breaths per day on average. And it's like air quality is probably the last thing we ever think about. As a matter of fact, I would argue that typically when you're not feeling well, you're like, cool, I got to change my diet. You know, I've been eating like crap lately. And, um, you know, obviously that's helpful. I think in terms of the healing process of removing exposure, you definitely do need to change your diet. And it's got to be this holistic approach, toward, approach towards health, right? And I think um, it's just the air quality piece that that I feel like has been such a missing link. And so I get, I'm excited to talk about that. What's the best choice to clean mold? Everyone says bleach, but you say no sure. bleach. No bleach. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's two types of mold, right? So you have the living organism and then you have the particle that's created by the living organism as a means of reproduction. And then you have the toxins that can be produced by the living organism as a means of self-defense. So when you look at it all like that, um, a lot of the times when you're cleaning mold, like off of a window as an example, it's growing on a non-porous surface. So it's just growing on top of the window. And that's very easy to just wipe away. In that regard, I would say using a, a botanical product, a, a botanical disinfectant would be all you need. And just wiping it away with something like a microfiber towel and throwing the towel away. Easy to solve. When it's growing into porous contents like drywall or your fabric couch, mm. 
mold actually has roots that are growing into these things. And so now you're talking about having to destructively remove the mold. Um, that's when you're opening up walls. You need to, you know, have a remediation company come in and set up engineering controls and do it safely. Uh, if it's growing into your couch, I mean, your couch is going to be destroyed. You're going to have to toss it. So that's where things get a little more complex and usually require a professional. This mold, man, it can just, it can go anywhere. <laughs> it's Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the, just the little hidden secret enemy that just, it's just hidden around us. Right. Well, it's interesting is it's, it's like, it's literally in its, in the smallest form, which is a spore. And that's just kind of the relationship to if mold was a plant, you know, it would be like the seed being produced. So it's, it's a spore it's called, and it's roughly 25 to 50 times smaller than what the human eye can see. So if you think about it like that, by the time you actually see it growing, there's a lot there. Once you see the, bl- it's, it's typically black, right? Dark. It can be depending on the species, like Stachybotrys, the toxic black mold that you hear about, you know, on the media and stuff like that, that is typically black. Um, there's other, other colors though. I mean, it can be white, green, brown, uh, red, purple, pink, orange, I mean, it's, you know, it's, but I would say typically, you know, you're used to knowing about it in its form when it is black in color. Could grapeseed oil neutralize it? I think grapeseed oil and other essential oils are fantastic at helping remove, you know, mold in a safe and effective manner. Um, Yeah, I would highly prefer stuff like that over bleach and chemicals that, you know, not only can aggravate the mold and make it produce potentially mycotoxins, but I think also just is just better to use for your yourself and your body. Okay, let's go down a little list here. Can mold end up in your trash can? Oh, definitely. Mold can definitely open because <laughs> you're any mold really just needs a food source and a source of moisture to start to grow. And so, you know, it, if you're not careful throwing away garbage and there's some liquids in some of the garbage you're throwing away, absolutely. You're going to create a, a nice moist environment for mold to grow. Any H2O stagnation. Pretty much. So that means it can end up on a bath mat. Oh yeah. I've seen it time and time again. One of the scariest places it can end up is in your HVAC system. Oh, <laughs> Because then it turns, it turns the lungs of the home into basically a mold factory. Oh man. Okay. So if it does get in that system, what do we do? We have to call in someone like you to, to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, you typically want to call in like a national air duct cleaning association certified contractor that is certified on the principles of cleaning mold from an HVAC unit. Um, that's probably your best bet. Uh, you know, if you live in Florida, like me, for example, a lot of the ductwork is not cleanable. So if you have a mold problem inside your ductwork, odds are you're stuck replacing it, which gets costly. Unfortunately, with mold remediation, there is there is a cost factor that that needs to be considered because most of the time you're doing an active construction project with a little bit of science mixed in there. And so things can get a little costly even more costly than a traditional construction project because you want to set up engineering controls and countermeasures to make sure you're not spreading it. 
in the process. How do we know it's even there? Great question. You know, for me, most people, when I get the call, it's like, I'm not feeling well, I think I have a problem. And, and at that point, obviously, it's, it's almost like too late, right? Because now you're having to help identify it. It's already caused a lot of damage. Uh, it's, it's clearly spread at that point, because there's got to be a lot of it per volume of air. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it sucks to get the call at that point. I have a pretty interesting tip and trick, which like, it's going to make you want to just pause and get up and go check. But if you, uh, if you actually go over to your toilet tank and you take the lid off and you flip it over and you look at the underside of the lid. And if you peek into the toilet tank, if you see mold growing in there, it's typically a good indicator that mold is somewhere in the immediate environment, opportunistically growing and producing at such a volume that would get inside your toilet tank. Cause there's a, there's a lid on it. So there's not a whole lot of air exchange, but there is some. I'll be right back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so let's go back to the bath mats since we're in the bathroom right now, mm-hmm. these bath mats, people usually typically hold on to them for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. What do we do to, should we wash it every few weeks? Totally. I think you should definitely wash it every few weeks, uh, you know, and make sure it's thoroughly dry. I think the big problem is typically we have these tile floors. We got these bath mats. We get, you know, out of the shower, we're soaking wet. They get, they get wet. And then you have the the potential for trap moisture in between the bath mat and the floor. And that's where, you know, that moisture can stay there for more than 24 to 48 hours. And that's all it takes for mold to start to grow. It's just that 24 to 48 hour period. So it kind of like if you've ever left a wet sponge on top of the counter, it's like the next day, it's still wet there. It's because anytime two things are touching each other, you get that potential for moisture to just stay there for longer periods of time. Would it be beneficial to just get a new bath mat every year? Oh, I think so. I mean, I, I, they're not, uh, in my opinion, you know, there's just too much moisture. It's too much uh, opportunity for mold to grow. I think tossing those things once a year um, is probably a good idea. And in between that, I would say, you know, washing it regularly, you know, at least, at least once every other week, I think would be a smart move. Now, what about a towel? Yeah. Hang it up to dry. If it doesn't dry correctly, it's going to, it has potential to get mold, right? Totally. So I think with towels, the important thing is to make sure that you do hang it up correctly and don't just like crumble it up in a ball and leave it on the floor like we all did in probably high school and college. (laughs) And the real reason is because again, you know, just it has the ability to stay wet longer when it's all, you know, touching each other and connected. Um, You have that potential for trap moisture. And again, if it's wet 24 to 48 hours, you're in that danger zone where mold can start to grow. Mm. What about a humidifier? It's constantly spitting out moisture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, those things need to be cleaned uh, and cleaned well. A lot of people uh, have good success cleaning them regularly with like vinegar. Um, I think that's a great idea. Hydrogen peroxide is another, another neat trick. Um, any botanical disinfectant I think would be good as well. But just keeping it clean, you know, and because look, what happens is these spores, they opportunistically land uh, in, in these wet areas and you want to remove the potential for it to grow. And so I think cleaning regularly is, is important or um, they're likely to become a gigantic Petri dish. Well, it just dawned on me also that, you know, humidifiers putting out moisture, that moisture can land on the rug 
or even the wall. The trick with humidification and dehumidification and all of that is to make sure that the humidity really stays below 60%. I actually recommend somewhere between 40 and 45% as like the optimal comfort and control. Uh, this way you have some, you know, countermeasures in there in case something breaks, uh, you know, and it goes up a little higher than normal. Um, because once you reach 60% or greater, you're going to have the ability for mold to grow. So it's, it's really important again, 24 to 48 hours. So not if it creeps up for an hour, but if it's perpetually wet, you know, you're going to have that, that, that problem where mold can grow. And I've seen it where, you know, I go to humid environments and someone's like, yeah, I think I have a mold issue. And you go there and you see mold growing on like everything. You're like, yeah, well, you know, your humidity here is 75%. I mean, you, you know, this environment's perfect for mold to grow. So I think being conscious of your environment. So if you're going to use a humidifier, making sure that you're not putting too much humidity into the environment would be a, a wise thing to do. How often do we have to clean the humidifier? Once a week? I would say so once a week. With vinegar? Vinegar, hydrogen peroxide, botanical disinfectant, you know, whatever your heart desires, all of them would do, would do well. This is a lot of work, Mike. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm like the bearer of bad news here. But on the flip side... It is a lot of work, but also like just having that knowledge is so vital because vital. most people, most people do all this stuff and like, don't realize. And even if you're not cleaning once a week and you're cleaning once a month, you know, I mean, just, just being proactive in general is so important because most of us act very reactively in these types of situations. And we're like waiting to actually see it physically growing somewhere before we're like, uh Oh, there's a problem here. And I think if we just start to educate ourselves on how we can be proactive, it's going to save us so much money in the long run and, and health and heartache and all that, you know? I, I recently had a leak in the house and it, it did get a little moldy, a little black around it. I neutralized it with uh, grapeseed oil a few times and, you did know. Did it keep growing back in between you using the grapeseed oil? No. Okay. No, no, it's, it seems to be neutralized. Uh, nothing's growing. Nothing's getting worse because we fixed the leak. Right. Um, and I also went and got a blood test <laughs> to make sure I'm good. Good. And everything turned out okay. So it didn't It seem like a big mold attack, sure. if you will. But I had, had to nip that in the bud right away. Yeah, no, it's isolated incidents like that that you're on top of, you catch right away, you, you, you disinfect. I mean, those are all good steps. Personally, if I were you, I would have probably went a little step further, but just because I'm, I'm a little nutty in this regard, um, I've seen too many problems, but you, I would have probably opened up like a hole in the ceiling and just made sure that it all dried out properly. So if there's anything that I would critique you on, I would say that would be the only thing that I would probably take an extra step but I think what you did made a lot of sense. You were on top of it. You made sure it didn't become a problem. So get a hole so that air can get in there. So air is the mold's enemy. Well, yeah, if you think about it, air helps it, air helps the area dry faster. And so yeah. when you introduce air to it, it's like just an extra countermeasure. But I, I am, you know, could you blow dry it? A lot of, uh, sure. You can introduce heat to it and it help dry it faster, you know? Interesting. Yeah, if you ever seen like a water damage like project, 
yeah, usually that you'll have these guys come in and blow, bring fans, you know, hundreds of fans and dehumidifiers and they, you know, they try to get it dry as quickly as possible. So you don't have this, you know, trap moisture develop. But unfortunately, sometimes we have insulation, you know, behind our walls or in our ceilings. And that insulation acts like a sponge and just keeps the water there. And even with all those fans, even with the dehumidifiers, it sometimes doesn't dry fast enough because there's just so much water. And so I think that's why opening up to just be safe and sure is always beneficial. And it just allows that extra bit of caution and making sure that it dries. What about a rug? You know, sometimes somebody has a flood in the basement. Maybe they have throw rugs or whatever. It gets wet. Let's say they, they, they bring it outside, let the sun get to it. Is the mold taken away? The opportunity for mold to grow taken away if you throw it out there in the sun? Oh yeah. If you get like a throw rug and you, you hang it up to dry, like on a clothesline or something and sit it out in the sun to let it dry properly. Absolutely. The the challenge there, and, and hopefully nobody listening has carpets in their basement. Cause I'll tell you, there's, there's a risk there, but when you have like padding and carpeting, sometimes like that padding underneath the carpet, again, it kind of holds that water like a sponge. And it's just like, no matter how much dehumidification and fans, it just won't dry fast enough. And that's where you're kind of in the danger zone. And I've seen that happen quite a bit. So I have to ask why no rugs in the basement? You know, it's subgrade typically, unless you have like a walkout basement where your basement's kind of built on top of the land. But most of the time it's subgrade, which any subgrade environment is prone to moisture. And so, you know, you're kind of allowing a sponge to sit in your basement where it soaks up a lot of that moisture. And so I, I think that, you know, for me, it's too big of a risk. I wouldn't risk it. And um, not to say that it's not impossible to build a very dry basement and have a carpet down there, but I just try to remove as much risk as possible in my life. So you would prefer just the concrete floor? Concrete floor or tile, you know, would, would I would probably prefer, yeah. Okay, maybe a raised tile of some sort on there? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, because a uh, basement, you're underground, you're under the, you're, you're in that water level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's up for me uh, at this point in my life. I know too much. I'm all about minimizing <laughs> risks everywhere that I possibly can, you know, and think about it for me, like I've seen the worst case scenario in like every type of scenario. So it's hard for me not to be like, yeah, I'm not even taking that chance. I'm definitely going, <laughs> going as a foolproof plan on this one. A good friend of mine who lives in an apartment just just a few months ago noticed that there's mold growing in the closets. She yeah. didn't really see it because it was, you know, behind the clothes, you know, it was just kind of hidden. Sure. And of course, she complained to the landlord and all this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're not trying to fix it. So she's moving. But, you know, what a bummer to find that that was there. And it, like, you know. It's, it's a hidden enemy sometimes. Yeah. 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 It's a hidden enemy and, you know, it affects a lot of renters, um, you know, especially because you're relying on the landlord to fix something as a problem comes up. And when you're dealing with water damage and the potential for mold that could potentially impact your health, it's, it's tough. And I don't think that landlords are necessarily malicious. Of course, some can be, but I think it's really just this lack of knowledge, you know, and, I think that's why I'm so passionate about kind of talking about this because I think it's just not talked about enough. 
And there's so many misconceptions out there, like use bleach, right, as an example. And so as we start to learn, you know, kind of how to deal with this proactively, I think we're going to get better and we're going to start to see that health side improve. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and maybe you don't know enough about that, but like every single day I'm talking to people who are sick. So um, for me, it's like all uh, that I see. Mm. So yeah, I wonder, she, you know, is there a lawsuit of some sort there? I mean, isn't it the landlord's responsibility? Yeah, you know. Can you go to court and, and, and explain the damaging effects of mold? <laughs> you could, yeah. I mean, there's tests you can do to show the correlation between what's going on inside the home and what's going on inside the body and obviously make the argument that, clearly there's a problem that's impacted your health. And of course, anything in court is all about, you know, who, who presents the better argument, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely legal ramifications. And of course it varies state by state because each state has their own regulations. But even if we take the law out of it, it's just like human decency. You know, if you own a property and, and, and it's impacting somebody's health, I think yeah, you want to make the right precautions to not only protect your investment, but, so that you're not renting a space that could harm somebody. So I think there's a lot that needs to be said there. And honestly, I think it's just more education that's required to really fix that. Because I, I honestly really true do believe that a lot of people just don't know any better. Yeah, it's lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So let's move to the other place that we probably spend our most time from out of the house or apartment into the car. We can get mold in there too, right? Sure. Oh. Yeah. Cars are full of carpet, fabric, leather, you know. Um, they also have AC systems, right? So there's you know potential for mold to grow there. Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely uh, something to think about. It one of the reasons why I have weatherproof um, mats. The other reason is that I have kids, so you know, but. I think that you know, having the potential to bring, you know, leaves in the fall where there can be uh, mold on the leaves, you know, that get into the car and, you know, can kind of make a mess from there, especially if the opportunity for it to grow is there. It just really depends on the climate that you live in. But mold is actually part of our ecosystem and it really does help, you know, things like leaves and, and dying, you know, matter decay. And so that's really one of the, the main purposes of it is to kind of, you know, have that renew cycle uh, as things fall off the mold eats it up and and that's part of the decaying process of our planet we just don't want it to decay us while we're still you know living our best lives so it can act mold can actually affect leather it can yeah leather is semi-porous in terms of the, the the type of substrate so um there are pores for the roots to grow into the nice thing about semi-porous is you can remove the mold and its roots called hyphae from the substrate. You just have to really be diligent, you know, mm. and make sure you're scrubbing it really well, uh, vacuuming it really well, et cetera. So, um, you know, something like glass or plastic or metal that doesn't have any pores, it can only grow on the dust on the surface of it. So it's as simple as wiping it away. Um, mm. So it's important to pay attention to the different porosities because the more porous it is, the likelier you won't be able to remove it properly. Mm. 
So let's go back to the house. What about the fridge? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there potential for the fridge? Oh yeah. So I've seen like the water spouts in the fridge get tested before and it's like millions of spores and you're just like, wow. So the crazy part of this is a million spores can fit on the head of a pin. So if you look at it like that, you know, obviously not everything that you sw that you would test would have a million spores on it just because not everything has active growth like that. But in a water spout, even when you stop pushing the button and the water stops, it still kind of drips and dribbles and hangs around um, and still kind of stays wet in that little area for quite some time. And I've seen mold really develop in there, you know, quite a bit. Also in places when you're like your power goes out, if you're on vacation, your power goes out for like a week, for example, um, you know, your, your machine will start to leak. It'll start to sweat. And I've, I've come, you know, I've been to people's places where they're the, like, they have a summer home or something and the power went out and it, it reeks to high heaven of mold. Mm -hmm. And you open up that fridge and it's like no amount of cleaning is ever going to get it right. Because even the insides of it, like there's just, you'll never get it to, to really, really be clean at that point. You have to throw it away. What about, can mold affect metal? It can grow on top of metal if there's a layer of dust for it to grow on top of. Um, but it, no, metal is not porous, so it can't like grow into it. So you can easily wipe it down. Okay. Okay, good. Cause I was going to say, I have a metal Berkey water filter, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh oh. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing with metal and water, obviously, is the rust and corrosion and things like that, which you know can can become a problem. But as far as mold, the nice thing about metal and non-porous surfaces is if it ever is growing on top of it for whatever reason, you don't need to throw it away like you would something porous. You can effectively vacuum and clean it. Mm. You mentioned testing. How would someone get a mold test? a really good question actually so i mean there are so many types of mold tests um you, you could even walk into home depot right now and you know get a little swab test and if you swiped a surface and it detected mold it would just like turn purple as an example but then there are the definitive mold tests that we as professionals use and that's where you know they're actually sending it to a laboratory to be analyzed to tell us the different species how much is there, if there's hyphal fragments. Um, it gives you a lot more information than just changing colors. And that's a little more useful so you can see, you know, how bad is it? Is it, is it bad enough to really need to worry? You know, do we have to perform remediation? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really key because sometimes you look at a water stain and you're like, ah, it looks fine. You know, it looks like it dried. But then you test it and you're like surprised to see the results. And then sometimes you see something that looks a little worse and you're pretty sure it's going to come out, you know, uh, and be a problem. And then you test it and it's like, you're, you're shocked to see that it's not as bad as you thought it would be. Right. So I love testing. I think data is really important to, to make definitive decisions on how do I invest my money to make sure I'm improving the environment in a best bang for the buck approach. Yeah. What are some other unexpected places that mold can grow that I haven't brought up. Okay. Your attic is one. Mm. 
Um, basement, as we kind of touched on earlier, um, a lot of people don't realize that mold grows in your basement. Surprisingly, um, crawl space is another one. Mm. That's because you like never go down there. Not every house has a crawl space, but if your house does, you know, odds are you've probably never been down there and they're typically just these dark, wet, humid environments. So mold tends to love those types of things. Um, kitchens and bathrooms, of course. One of the craziest things about bathrooms though is very often there's like mold growing behind the tile inside the shower. And it's, it's just because sometimes contractors, when they're building the shower area, they, they're just not building them properly. There's no waterproofing membrane behind the tile. Hmm. So grout is actually semi-porous. Wow. Semi-porous meaning water can transfer through it. Um, so yeah, I mean, water gets through it. It gets behind the tile. Mold starts to grow. You don't really notice it. Um, sometimes uh, most people will complain to me like, you know, Hey Mike, I have this, you know, grout line that I clean it and it comes right back like a week later. What do I do? And I'm like, most likely it's coming from behind the tile growing through the grout. And so you can clean it till the cows come home. Unless you remove the tile and fix it properly, you're going to be cleaning that forever. It's so defeating. <laughs> it is defeating. Because it's like, what do you do? Do you, do you just take apart your whole house, your car? It's like, how do you, how do you escape? Yeah. I mean, I know, I know I'm, I'm usually not the beacon of hope in the beginning, but I am at the end. So, <laughs> you know, to kind of tie this all together, I think that's why it's so important to really look at data. And so when I'm working with someone who's like, I don't feel well and I want to get better, um, and I think the house may be a problem, you know, I'm going to basically get all this testing strategy together to help analyze what are the, the actual issues inside the home that are impacting. Because some issues are going to be very nominal, if anything at all. And then some issues are going to be like, whoa, there's a big problem here. And so it's looking at for the big problems and like prioritizing, investing on fixing those. And, you know, some of the smaller stuff, it's, it's like, you know, you have to remember that you're not building a bubble around your house. Thankfully, you don't have to. There is mold in the air outside. So you, you're always going to have some exposure, but there are, it does matter which species are present and what, at what quantities. You know, thinking about that 20,000 breaths again, every breath you take has hundreds of thousands or millions of spores coming in. Whereas when you go outside, it's only like 200, you're going to notice a difference. So I think it's really looking at like, what are the source of the problems and how do we minimize that so we can create a healthier environment? And that's really the goal. Is there any particular humidifiers that are recommended? Any, anyone with a humidistat, meaning when you, you know, where you can set it at a, at a humidity level that you'd like to get to. And once it gets there, it'll shut off. That's really the key. Um, and I would say the other like feature that you would want in one is like just something that you can take apart easily and clean easily. Um, those are the two features you want. Cause if it'll just run forever and allow it to get so humid that, you know, your walls are sweating, which I've seen happen by the way, like mm -hmm. you don't want that, you know, you want something that has some sort of control that is smart enough to turn on and off when you need it to. So where, where my business and your business kind of 
across each other is with these conditions. And one mm-hmm. of them that I saw that mold can greatly impact is celiac disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of getting off gluten. I mean, it's part of my nutritional protocols with clients and stuff, you know? Totally. So you're saying mold can trigger celiac as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so mold and, and, and a plethora of autoimmune deficiencies and diseases um, play a role. I mean, you know, it's, it's like your environment really plays an important role in your health and, you know, what you're exposed to. And that's food, water, air, right? And I think when you're looking at health holistically, and this is why our businesses do cross, like you said, it's you have to look at the whole entire picture. And you could put someone on a diet. And antifungal diets, you know, getting off of gluten, that's kind of all part of the process. But if they're still exposed to these toxic elements in their environment, you know, it's like, as you're trying to help them detox, they keep retoxing, right? And so we have to look at this, we have to zoom out a bit and look at this whole picture and say, I wonder what's going on in your environment, because especially if you're, if you're, if people are doing everything that you said and they're not getting better, I guarantee you there's something external happening that just hasn't clicked yet. You know, how about blood pressure? Have you ever heard of mold exposure impacting blood pressure? Yeah, I've heard it on both sides. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. Like I've heard it increasing blood pressure and decreasing blood pressure. So I guess it really just depends on the person, but it definitely can. I mean, it, it can cause all sorts of, you know, heart, heart beating irregularities, blood pressure increases, decreases. It can cause weight gain, weight loss. You know, I think it's really going to depend on the individual and what, what they have going on. And it kind of exacerbates that. Hmm. Yeah, I would think that it would have some sort of impact on the kidneys, being that the kidneys are an eliminator, mm-hmm. eliminative organs, you know? Kidneys, liver. Yeah, it's it's it, it it really like, I mean, even the gut health, brain inflammation, which is, you know, really probably what causes the brain fog effect. Have you heard much of brain fog? Oh, yeah. I'm imagining, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I mean, it's like and brain fog has become this whole really new look at like, it's, it's a mixture of what we're eating, what water we're drinking, you know, what's the air we're breathing. Again, it's kind of this holistic approach to health is how do we minimize all the inflammation that's coming, that we're coming into contact with both advertently and inadvertently. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, it's crazy to me because most of the time when I see people, it's like a, they have a plethora of problems, you know, like they're, you know, dealing with health issues, their house has issues, their diet is, is not the best. They're not exercising well. Um, and it's just kind of this whole, this whole thing like they get debilitated in so many different ways of their life that it's, it's, it's like, where do you start? And unfortunately you kind of have to do it all. You know, you have to move out of your house and improve the health of the home. You have to change the way you diet and exercise and, drink more water, you know, all of it. Right. And I think that it's, it's just, um, for me, the hardest sell for me is guys, look, it's, it's air. Air is a problem. You know, I'm not saying it's the number one problem, but I am, I will go ahead and say that you can live longer without food or water than you can without air. So keeping that in mind, you know, it's definitely an important part of our, our health. And it's like, 
the last thing we think about if we think about it at all. We need good, clean air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mold, I, I would think also asthma, CO, you know, lung, lung issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of studies that, that kind of link mold exposure to asthma. Uh, you know, I mean, a strange thing happened for me. I was diagnosed with asthma as a kid when I lived in this apartment with my parents. And then once my dad um, bought a home and we moved into the single family home, all of a sudden I was able to kick the inhaler, you know? So, I mean, obviously that's an anecdotal story, but it's interesting when you start to look at this and you start to see all the studies coming out regarding mold and asthma, it's hard not to ignore that, you know, we have to be more mindful of the air that we're breathing. So how do you get into this? <laughs> what, what, what's your, what's your big mold aha moment where you say, Hey, I'm going to become the mold medic. Sure. So, uh, I'm from the Northeast and, um, Me as well. when I, when I moved back from, from college, I, uh, it was right after hurricane Sandy. And so hurricane Sandy, for those that don't know, it's a pretty catastrophic hurricane that happened in the Northeast, um, caused, I don't know how many billions of damage, but, but a ton. And for about seven years thereafter, I just saw people getting sick and, you know, I would get the call. I was working for my dad at the time. Um, I would get the call to go over to so-and-so's house to do an estimate on, you know, restoration repairs that needed to happen. And I just started noticing a pattern of, you know, yes, I had my home remediated already, but, you know, I started getting sick shortly after, and I didn't know why. And after about a year, someone finally said, let me go get my house checked. And I found all these problems. And I think what was really um, odd for me is the fact that they already had their home supposedly repaired. So I'm, I'm walking around and they're showing me the area and it looks like it was brand new. Like it just has, had been patched up, it painted. Um, and I'm looking at the mold report and I'm like, you know, I would, especially in the beginning, I would call these inspectors and be like, are you sure it was that area? I mean, look, I didn't see any issues. So, you know, even me, I was not associating, you know, what mold was. It was this hidden thing behind walls that they were able to identify. Um, they just asked the client, you know, where was the prior damage? Let me test that to make sure that's not a problem. And it was like, Eureka, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So then I started to try to dissect why is, how could this happen? How did it just come right back? And how is this impacting people's health? And I saw a pattern. And the pattern really is simply this mold is a living organism. It actually requires a little bit of microbiological science to be applied to the process of removing it. And you have to kind of know what is mold and how does it exist and how does it reproduce? And for so many of these guys that call themselves remediation companies or restoration contractors, they've just been taught to do things from a cosmetic standpoint. It's all because of insurance. The insurance company just pays you to take it out and put it back. And the insurance company is certainly not training you on how to do it, you know, scientifically and methodically because it would cost them more. So it's, it's, it's almost been this neglected thing by design. And so as I started kind of exploring and going down this rabbit hole, cause I wanted to figure out how I could help people better. I really started to see that the whole industry was kind of a mess and in, in, in need of repair. Um, so that's what led me to, uh, you know, doing the work that I do and writing the book, kind of outlining the processes of how to do this scientifically and not cosmetically. And 
it just kind of snowballed into this huge passion for helping people because there's not many that know how to do it. Mm. So you self-educated yourself. Mm -hmm. That's great. I appreciate that. And, and so your, your book helps people be live a mold free life. Is that a good way to put it? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, you know, originally I wrote my book to help people who may be going through similar struggles as many of my clients do. Um, and maybe I just, you know, I can't help everybody, right. There's only one of me and, and many, many people out there. So I wanted to impart my knowledge on the subject so that people can utilize it, whether professionally or just personally, it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at it like that, if you read the book, you're going to get a, a pretty good education on all the different types of mold that come from water damage that could impact you. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely going to learn how to deal with it properly so that if God forbid you ever do have this situation where water damage occurs or mold is growing, you know how to safely remove it or hire someone properly and vet them properly to safely do it. Uh, so that you don't have this issue. So I think it's it's a good elementary book. I try to break it down in as simple as terms as possible. Yeah, your Instagram is very uh, animated and educational. So that's a good yeah. Good it's, it's by design. Um, you know, if you go to at the mold medic on Instagram uh, or even TikTok, I'm on TikTok now, which is hilarious because I just I don't really even understand it myself. But <laughs> the idea is, you know, to kind of create this wealth of information for people to be able to utilize these tips and tricks in real everyday life. Like how do you clean your bath mat? You know, um, all that stuff is invaluable. I think if we can empower people to, to have that knowledge and that wherewithal to do something about it before it becomes a problem, I think it's going to help people, you know, save time, money and their health. Mm. So What's next for you? Are you, are you looking to just educate people at a uh, high level through the internet or uh, you mentioned clients. So uh, somebody can hire you and you, you give them advice on how to mold free their house up. (laughs) Yeah. So what's next for me is, um, uh, probably more going more the educational route and certification route. Uh, I am actively building a physical school location. Mm. Um, the idea is not only to train our own personnel to, to kind of get caught up to speed faster, but to eventually be able to train other contractors who are interested in kind of learning the, the way we do things specifically for people to improve their health. Um, and, and kind of going into that certification route and really certifying people to do it so we can, you know, reach more people. Um, like I said, I can't fix one house at a time. It'll, it'll take, uh, impossible to get there. So you're looking to certify people that are already working on houses. Yeah. Like contractors, you know, that, I mean, if you look at this, how many homes get built that don't have mold or bacteria in mind? Um, how many homes get renovated and maybe they just think that if they just remove some of the drywall, that everything was okay without realizing that the drywall, you know, that the mold growing in the drywall was creating particles all this time, hmm. you know? So it's like, there's gotta be a better way to do things. I mean, there, there definitely is, but nobody's kind of tackling that. Um, 
architects, uh, contractors, builders, they're not required to be educated in microbiology to do their work. And I understand that that would be kind of cumbersome, but there's got to be a way to bring people up to speed enough so that they can do their job well enough so that other people aren't impacted by the homes they're building, designing, renovating, et cetera. So I think the idea is to just give, you know, impart this, this knowledge that other people can do it. And how do we do that? We create the demand for it. You know, if you were going to build a house, if you knew that you should find a builder that was smarter, you know, that would build you a safer home, wouldn't you do it? Mm. So we have to educate the demand and create the demand through the education and then teach the people to fill the demand. And that's really how anything's done. So if I have a house built from scratch, it would be in my best interest to make sure that the builders have knowledge of mold. Totally. Makes sense. So before I ask you my last question, where can someone come find you and where can they buy their book, uh, your book? So I think the easiest way to, to do that would be to go to the moldmedic.com um, where you can find the book, information about me, um, a lot of my social media stuff. If you are interested in a lot of the free tips and, and uh, life hacks that I share every day. And um, yeah, I mean, books available on Amazon, Target, Walmart, you know, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book, you know, so go ahead and search for it online and you'll have it probably within two days. Okay. So my last question, besides the topic of mold, what's the top three books you've ever read that had the biggest impact on you? It's a great question. I really like the healing organization that I read recently. I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, it was really inspiring. And it was just talking about how businesses should be designed to heal instead of to just prioritize profit. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a book that I read, you know, like in early days of college. And, you know, I think it's still a lot of those principles hold true today on, because look, if you want to change anything out there, you're going to need to know how to, you know, capitalize and raise capital and stuff like that. Otherwise, you're not really going to be able to make much of an impact. Unfortunately, it takes a, a lot of money to make an impact these days. Um, let's see, last but not least, I would say um, Toxic by Neil Nathan was a, a fantastic book. And, you know, there's so many amazing books that I've read uh, on the health, uh, on the health side of things regarding toxicity. Um, and I just think that that book in general kind of set the tone for all the other books that followed. So I appreciate that, you know, that, 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 that was paved the way there. Michael, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.